Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. Well, it must be great to know what you want to be when you're in high school and then go ahead into that field, a really hard field, stand-up comedy, and do great at it and be a star all these years later. Well, we got somebody with us that has done just that. His name is Bob Zaney, and you're not going to want to miss him because, good news, the Laugh Factory over at the Tropicana next week is opening back up, and Bob is the first out of the gate. He'll be there November 5th through the 8th. Well, first of all, Bob, it's got to be exciting to get back to Vegas. This must frustrate a stand-up comic with what's going on out in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time in my career, because I started in 77, I was on the gong show with Chuck Barris. You know, that was like my first introduction to show business. I was 15 since like 1984. I've, I've worked, you know, probably 30 to 40 to 50 weeks a year. And they, they took it away, man. They took it away, Stephen. I wanted to ask you about that gong show thing. I mean, everybody remembers that. You got the hook initially, and then you came back. Talented. I was a celebrity judge. I did two weeks when they did the, the reboot of it 10 years later, which was kind of cool. And then the coolest thing about all that was is that uh, I, when I did the Tonight Show with Jay Leno in 1997, like 15, what was it, 20 years later, I was, at the, I was in the, right across the way from where the gong show was taped at NBC. Well, you won. You're good on TV shows, though, because you won Star Search, and that was a big deal in its day, and you beat Carrot Top. I mean, I guess you must see him around town when you're here. Do you guys laugh about that? Because you beat him. Well, actually, Scott's a really good friend of mine. That's his given name, uh, Carrot Top. I didn't win. I I got to the semifinals. I beat him in the regular rounds, and then I lost the – so I didn't get to go to the finals. But, uh, you know, he shows the clip of me beating him on Star Search in his uh, show at the Luxor. So when he, he's starting back up too. Well, what was that? Uh, what was that like with Ed McMahon? Because at the time, that was a big deal. It was really kind of the only show of its kind then. Well, Ed actually, him and I end up working together because I did the Jerry Lewis Telethon for seventeen years, and at midnight they gave me that spot to come out and do stand up. And Ed would always stay around to make sure he was there to introduce me and and uh, play off me during my set. So. For those eight minutes, I got to be Johnny Carson. <laughs> and uh, so my first experience with that, he wrote a book called Inter, uh, I think it's called uh, Laughing Out Loud, his last book. And he said that was the funniest movement on Star Search because after I beat Carrot Top, I walked over to Ed and I tripped and fell on the ground. And I got up and I said, hey, Ed, I'm going to make a hundred grand after the show one way or another. I saw something I think everybody should tune into. If you have any doubts about Bob, or if you can't get out to the Trop this week, you got to see him. It's on uh, Dry Bar Comedy, in which it's kind of a, first of all, what is Dry Bar's comedy? I mean, I, they have some really good entertainers, of course, with you and some other people that are very good, very entertaining stuff. Well, Dry Bar, it, it, it's a club in Provo, Utah, so they don't sell alcohol. That's why they call it that. But uh, it, uh, they've been presenting a lot of comedians the last few years, and uh, it's starting to get a lot of uh, attention, my special. It, they've chopped it up and put it on YouTube, and 
I think the Goodwill tour, which I do, has gotten over 77,000 views in about under two weeks. So people are getting to see it, and it's a great exposure for comics. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, gather the family around the Internet and watch it. It's pretty clean. <laughs> I do both shows. You know, I got an adult show, and I got the clean show. So. Yeah, well, we saw it, and we loved it. I mean, we saw it on YouTube, and it was very funny. And, you know, sometimes I think it's almost harder for a comedian, right, to, to work really clean because now it's just so expected that you're going to do something off-color or worse. And for you to have to go out there and do that and you get those big belly laughs has to feel good. Well, you know, the, the thing about off-color is the fact that, you know, what is off-color? No one knows anymore. It's funny, you know, about 20 years ago, I'd be doing corporate shows and say, well, just be uh, TV clean at 8 o'clock hour. And I said, have you watched Friends and what they say? So, you know, it's all left to interpretation of what is clean and what isn't, you know. Well, you do a very funny bit. And what they'll see is you get up there and read the news. Very topical. Uh, how did you come up with that? Was that the idea of like doing a news report? Well, I, it's called the Zany Report, and uh, I've been doing it for years. I started out at KLOS in Los Angeles. Uh, I was hired uh, to uh, do weekends, and I did call-ins to the morning show with Fraser Smith, and I started doing the Zany Report, and then uh, I did it with Bob and Tom, which is syndicated of over, you know, 200 markets uh, for over uh, for at least uh, 18 years every Tuesday, and I do it every Tuesday now. It's just my take on the news. That's all it is. It had a real good ring to it. I mean, one of the great lines was your uh, line about going to uh, funerals all the time. And I love that, you know, a little play on the always the bridesmaid thing. Yeah, well, you know, it's true, though. I mean, I, and it started very young. I remember being pallbearers in my great-grandmother's funeral, my grandfather's funeral, my uncle's funeral, and a bunch of people just over the years. So the joke goes, I've been in so many funerals, always a pallbearer. Yeah, and that kind of kicked off the thing I saw, and I really enjoyed it. This whole idea of going through the news, so you've got to keep up on things, right? I mean, you, you're getting the newspaper every day. You're watching whatever your favorite 24-hour news is to really kind of keep up and, and be topical. Yeah, it's you know, I, I'm old school. I do still read the newspaper. I love the 50-state wrap-up they have in USA Today. That's where I get a lot of my stories from. But recently with the COVID, I mean, everything's COVID-related. So at a point, you just it's, it's too much. I just want to get back to people just being silly. But it's kind of hard to be funny about COVID, right? Well, Stephen, let me just say this. COVID-19, when it hits 20 cells, you know, the COVID-19 virus can live four days on a toilet seat, beating out Elvis by three. Oh, I like that. Okay, very good. <laughs> I, I told that joke in Memphis. I got nothing. <laughs> you can be funny about stuff. It, but again, you know, it's. I always say, you know, what's it, what's in your heart? I mean, are you doing it to be mean or are you doing it to try to just let's, let's laugh at this stuff because it's just too much. It's overwhelming. Well, that's what I got from your presentation was it didn't have that edge. You know, some of these things have that really like strong political edge where you almost know where you're supposed to laugh. Well, you know, I, I'm old school in the sense that like Johnny Carson made fun of both sides, you know, so. Whenever I do a political joke, I try to do one towards the other side, too. They don't know where you're coming from. And, you know, you lose half the audience anyway when you start picking a side. Why would you want to tick off 50% of people that can come back and see him, buy your comedy, and so forth? It's called insecurity. So in that way, when they don't come back, you feel they feel justified. I don't know. <laughs> I just, you know what? My, my, my whole career, I, you know, I was taught, it's funny, there's a 
comedian named Jackie Kahane. He opened for Elvis for years. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He took me under his wing. He was a writer's manager. And, you know, he taught me about stuff like that. You know, he would say that, you know, you, you, you have to not pick a side. You have to make fun of both sides. And, you know, you learn it. So I'm kind of old school when it comes to stuff like that. Well, you know, you mentioned before, and I want to talk a little about it, about being on KLOS, and I went to college in Los Angeles, so I know that's a big deal. That's a big station, and you're coming on, and I think doing something like that kind of puts the pressure on you, doesn't it? Because a lot of comics come up with a particular shtick. They do it every time. They kind of polish it and stuff. But if you're coming on a radio show and every week it's different, you got to come up with new materials. Is that, does that keep you sharp, or is that just really hard? It was hard when I was younger, but now it's not. It's like it's not that I'm disciplined. I just know when I need to do it and how to do it. But uh, the, the the interesting story about KLOS was, you know, I grew up in West Covina, which is a suburb of L.A., and I went to Mount San Antonio College, and I I was going to get a two year degree in radio and TV broadcasting. And the first thing they teach you is don't think you're going to go to L.A. or New York and get a radio job. So I did like three semesters and did all the stuff I was supposed to do. And I went and auditioned for the radio station at the college, which the signal basically went out to the parking lot. Yeah, right. And the guy turned me down. And, you know, that was like, you know, a light bulb went off. I go, why am I here? Why am I doing this to myself? I want to do stand-up anyway. So I moved from West Covina to, you know, the Valley. And I started, uh, become, I became a messenger and was delivering to all the studios and celebrities and stuff. And uh, I uh, ran into Fraser Smith at KLOS, and he said, can you write for me? I said, sure. And then one day he said, can you, can you do some call-ins to my show? And I did. And they got so popular, the, the program director hired me. And, uh, you know, I was there for three years and learned a lot. And, you know, but I was always doing stand-up at night. So that was always my bread and butter. You talk about taking rejection. Another time you took rejection and it worked out real well was at the Ice House. I'm real familiar with that. It's a tiny little club in Pasadena, California. They've had some big acts there, but it's it's small. You went up there, auditioned. They told you you weren't ready, and you said neither is the club. You managed to uh, work out a deal where you had your own show there, though, and you had some big names come in there. Guys like Gary Shandling, Kevin Nealon. What a great opportunity. Uh, was that Yakov Smirnoff, Robert Wool. It was really cool. But, you know, they were comics that were working and they were, you know, they hadn't, you know, made it yet either. But I was a young kid and they were always like 10 or 15 years older than me. And uh, it was a great experience. And I, you know, I sold out the shows and I think it was 77. The story you told the, 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 for the listeners, just so they know, you would have to audition on Thursday afternoon in an empty room to the owner of the club and he would be sitting in the sound booth and do five minutes. Well, I did my five minutes and I walked off and he said, I don't think you're ready. And I looked around the room. I said, either is your club. <laughs> but, uh, and then I ended up headlining in 1985 or 84. I started going there because of the popularity of the radio. And Dennis Miller was my middle act and him and I were, cause they were treating me like, you know, they weren't treating me right because I was a headliner. I, it happened too fast for them, I guess. And Dennis told me when he went back to Pittsburgh, they treat they treat him the same way the home club. So at least we commiserated with that. That is interesting. So there's kind of a, a weird sort of uh, camaraderie, but too much success, too fast. I, I guess there's just a lot of jealousy in that world. Well, there's jealousy in anything. You know, it, it's not that special, but it's more personal. But it's funny what you mentioned about radio. I, I learned a lot about life. 
I was doing my morning show at KLOS, and I picked up the phone, and this guy said, who's this? He didn't know it was me. He said, who's this Bob Zadie? He sucks. He's the worst. Why can't he be like Jim Ladd at KMET? And I'm just going, well, you know, he's trying to do something a little different. Well, I don't like him. I said, okay. And I hung up, and, you know, I'm 20 years old, and I go, God, that's that's horrible. Then I pick up the next line, and this guy goes, this Bob Zaney's the best. He's the funniest guy I've ever heard. And then that's when I realized life isn't fair. You go to present day and people think they can say mean things to you on Twitter because they don't have to face you. They're not, most people aren't that way in real life. You know what I mean? You know, it's such a great place to learn comedy, though, because if people think it's easy to sit there with a microphone, talk to somebody who you have to imagine is there and be funny, it takes a real skill set. I tip my hat to you. That's hard to do. Well, I, you know, when you're calling into radio, like like with Bob and Tom, there's four people in the room. So if I can make them laugh, then hopefully the people listening are laughing too. So it's 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 about focus. But I, I think a talk show where you don't even have guests and you have to talk all the time, that's a real talent. Because I, I, I tried that a couple times, and it was like a lot of work <laughs> to fill that time. It can but be. <laughs> it's, I, I'm better at playing off people. Well, you know, one of the things you do on stage, too, which I find interesting and I wanted to ask you about is you're always smoking a cigar. And I think of like Ron White does that. And, of course, George Burns was famous for that many years ago. Is that something that just kind of helps you? Is, is kind of almost eh, crutches the wrong word, but just like a prop that you use that kind of relaxes you when you're up there? Or is it just you well, like to smoke cigars? I, I, I in my younger days, I smoked them. I haven't smoked them in years now on stage, but uh you know, I it's late '80s. I, I came out with cigar, and it was a uh, it was just like I was doing a throwback to the old time comics. And in 1984, I actually did a TV sitcom called George Burns Comedy Week. I didn't get to meet George, but uh, Steve Martin was the executive producer. So I, you know, George is like uh, I've read a couple books that he wrote back in the '70s, and what a fascinating life that that man had. But he talked about the cigar in the sense that it was for his timing. And uh, it's like, I, I like being on stage with a mic stand in front of me, but I always go off mic all the time. But I like to, to know it's right there. Yeah. So it is, I think, a security blanket of some sort, maybe, having the cigar. But One of the things you mentioned there was like with George Burns was timing. Is that a thing where, I guess as you get get on and years track, move on, it's that pause. That pause can mean a lot of almost as much as what you say, right? If you can just give that and kind of match it with maybe like a, yeah. like a strange look, that kind of thing. Well, Jack Benny was the king of that. I mean, he he would just give a look and get thirty seconds to a minute of laughter, you know. But every comedian uh, is different in that sense. But uh, you know, uh, comedy, it as you do it more and more and more live, it you just it becomes who you are. Uh, your own thing, you know? So I got uh, timing. Why everyone's always told me what great timing I have. And it's not like I went to timing school, <laughs> you know, it's not like I have a timing belt that I have to change at 60,000 miles. It's just, I guess it's an eight with me now. So I, I know when to pause and when not to pause and whatever. And sometimes you, you know, you're not perfect every night cause it's live. It's not like, you know, you're doing a sitcom where you can take three or four scenes and, and pick the best one. Is that something you always had a dream for? Because it seemed like every stand-up always wanted to have a sitcom. Is that something you ever thought of? No, uh, you know, I always wanted my own talk show, and I actually uh, I kind of accomplished that. In fact, uh, up at the Nugget at Carson City, we did a few test shows, 
called Carson City Tonight, and it was I was doing like the Johnny Carson format. And uh, so, I, yeah, it's something I would love to still do, and who knows, maybe I'll do it. It'll just be for an older audience. But, you know, my audiences are young and old, and, and the young people really find it refreshing what I do because they haven't been exposed to the, you know, the old-school comedy. And I always kind of describe my act as I'm old-school meets new-school with a back-to-school chaser. <laughs> well, it's certainly worth going to YouTube and looking at Dry Bar. I'm telling you, we passed it around to friends and family, and everybody loved it. Everybody. It went across the board, so I think that's a real skill to that. I think people are going to love this. you got to be excited about coming out to the Trop. Is it is going to feel good to be back in Vegas doing this? Yeah, and, you know, I moved to Vegas, so I live here now, and uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, I just moved here last year from living in Los Angeles my whole life. Yeah. And I got out. I think I got out at the right time. And, uh, yeah, I know I can't, I have so many friends that still live there and I'm going, you got to get out. It's, it's over. Trust me. I think it's going to be, I think what the California is going to be a great Venezuela. They're doing a great (laughs) job of going towards that direction. That's a sad thought, having grown up in California. And I know you lived a lot of years in California. It's, it's, it's really sad to see what's happened there. Well, it's a, it's great when you can watch people destroy a state. It's, they're just doing a (laughs) heck of a job. But, uh, yeah, and I've been to all 50 states, and I've performed in 13 countries now. So, you know, it's like you get a whole perspective about life. And, 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 you know, half my life I've been on the road anyway. So moving here, it was a little – I still kind of – you know, it's my home, you know. L.A. was my home, but it was time. No one can afford it. No, no. And uh, Las Vegas is a great place to live. I think we're glad to have you here. Bob, Bob Zaney, he will be again one more time at the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana if you're going to visit then or you're in town November 5th through the 8th. And if not, you got to at least go to YouTube, see the Dry Bar comedy, uh, get a little taste of it there. You can buy it, I think, on the Dry Bar uh, website. Uh, well, oh, you it. can? Yeah. I, I, I don't have to. <laughs> you get it for free. Well, we got to come and see Bob. Maybe you can slip him a couple of bucks and he'll yeah. make sure you can get that. Well, if you get the app, I think you can watch it for free. That's what they want. So I don't, you know, I, I'm learning all this stuff. You know, there's so many mediums out there now, as you know. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. Really enjoyed talking with you. Hope to have you on again. You're the best, Steve. Bye bye. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-296-1337. 800-296-1337. 800-296-1337. That's 800-296-1337. Hi, this is Dr. Annette of The Dr. Annette Show. We've been talking today about COVID-19 and steps you can take to possibly prevent or mitigate infection. Silver and zinc have been used for centuries as disinfectants and as antimicrobials. 
We're offering you this special discount to make it easier and more affordable to get these essential silver and zinc liquid mineral supplements. Visit our website at www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Once again, that's www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products, professional line not included. We are all in this together and we can get through this. Learn more at elementalresearchinc.com and use the promo code VEGAS20. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.